Uh, good morning. Why don't you grab your Bibles and turn them to Romans chapter 12. And we're just going to recap where we're up to in the series by reading from verse 1. I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Bible. Romans chapter 12, starting from verse 1. And we're going to move down to verse 10, just to remind ourselves where we've been. Lord, while we read, tune our hearts to hear your voice, we pray. Spirit, will you give us insight beyond just our own experience, our own way of viewing the world. Teach us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Romans chapter 12, starting from verse 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in the body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhortation, in exhortation. Giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters outdo one another in showing honour. Let's recap. Week one of this series, we talked about a gospel community, the way that the gospel of grace that is found in Jesus Christ shapes not just only us as individuals, but also it shapes, it is meant to shape the community of God's people. The gospel forms a community of worshippers who live by daily dying. That was our big point that we wanted to try and take away. Week two, we talked about how the gospel shapes a distinctive community. That the gospel creates a subversive, alternate culture that exists to bless the world it lives within and invite other people into. Week three, we looked at the fact that the gospel creates a diverse community. The gospel makes us more like Christ. But it doesn't erase the unique image which is impressed on us by our Creator. 
So though the, though the gospel forms a community of people, it enables individuals to authentically be included and celebrated within it. Week four, we talked about a devoted community. The gospel will not tolerate being included as an accessory to our church, to our community. It must be so pervasive amongst us that it fuels everything we do, which leads us now to a zealous community. The reason I want to recap here is that we're about halfway through our series and uh, we, we might lose sight of the fact that this is one big argument, one persuasion that Paul is trying to get across to us. I love slowing down in the Bible. I love the fact that we've been able to do this series and look at it slowly and carefully. But one of the dangers of that is that we lose sight of the big picture. Uh, we become so uh, focused on the detail that we, we don't see the whole. So we can't fall in the trap of thinking that each of these weeks were individual topics unrelated to each other. They aren't isolated subjects. They are links in a chain which are building off what was said previously and it forms a robust life, a life of strength in the gospel that is shaped by the good news of grace. So today in particular, instead of thinking that we've, okay, well, last week was that topic, this week's going to be a new topic, we haven't moved on from the topic of unhypocritical love, which we spoke about last Sunday. We should see instead that the, the focus of the zeal that we're going to speak about today and the fervency that we're going to speak about today is really just an extension of what Paul's already been talking about, right? A life of passionate service to God rather than just dry obedience is a way that we love without hypocrisy. So let's turn our focus to that short verse and we'll see if we can get a better handle on how this plays out. I'm going to give you the big idea um, like I normally do and then we'll think through what Paul is saying in it. So here's my big idea. The gospel must not make us yawn. All right, that, that we could just leave it there. Let me explain that a little bit. The gospel must not make us yawn. We can't shrug our shoulders and maybe let our Australian apathy dictate our response to grace. The reality is, is that we are new people and we have good news. That should make us excited. It should transform us. All right, so I want to try and be clear about some of the words that we're going to come across in here. So let's try and define them and make sure that we're thinking along the same lines that Paul is thinking on when he wrote these words. So let's read verse 11 in your Bibles. Romans chapter 12, verse 11, that's our focus verse that we're going to look at today. It's not very long, but it's got some very important key phrases in it. It says this, Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the Spirit. 
serve the Lord. Three clauses, three phrases. Do not lack diligence in zeal, be fervent in the spirit and serve the Lord. That's what the Christian Standard Bible says. Here's what the English Standard Version says, my other go-to translation. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in the spirit, serve the Lord. It's very similar words. So I want to just highlight a few of these key phrases, key words in particular things that you might notice in the text. The first one is this, and maybe this is something that skipped past your attention, but I want you to notice it. In the Christian Standard Bible, where it says, be fervent in the Spirit, it actually says, be fervent in the Spirit, and it capitalizes the S, all right? Uses an uppercase S for that word. In the English Standard Version, it said, be fervent in Spirit, and it used a lowercase s. Some of you are just going, oh, good on you, Chris. That's fantastic, you know. Big deal, right? How much difference can an uppercase letter make? Well, in, in the case of Bible translations, quite a lot. The ESV uses the translation of, a, of, of the Greek word there, which highlights in spirit, lowercase letter, while the Christian Standard Bible highlights the Greek meaning of the Spirit, uppercase letter. And we should ask, well, why? Why is there a difference there? Translators, when they, when they grab their Bibles and translate from the Greek, particularly in the New Testament, across to the English so that we can read it, they try to help us out by understanding what the Greek words are referring to. It makes quite a difference whether or not Paul is talking about God here, because that's what often they use an uppercase letter for. The Spirit, uppercase letter, is referring to the Holy Spirit. Spirit, referring with a lowercase letter, usually referring to our spirit. So it makes a big difference whether the Bible is talking about God here or talking about us here. We should want to know that, right? Well, it seems like there's a little uncertainty about the reference to the Spirit that Paul's actually making here. It isn't clear. And so the translators have had to make a judgment call as to which one they think it highlights. Now, where this happens in the Bible happens in numerous places. Where it happens in the Bible, a good translation, you can check your Bible to see if it is a good translation, a good translation will insert usually a little um, number or a letter or an asterisk there, which sends you to a footnote down the bottom of your Bible in the bottom page somewhere, and it will usually say um, maybe something like, could also be translated, and they will give you the alternate translating. So the Christian Standard Bible says that um, the spirit, but it has a footnote saying it could also be your spirit, all right? Some uncertainty there. Generally, it's it quite, quite a big deal. I mean, if the Bible's talking about God, we want to know that. If it's talking about us, we want to know that. We're going to come back to this in a little while, but in this case, it's not really hugely important in the context, but we'll, we'll come back to that. All right. There's the spirit question. We'll circle back around. Zeal. Let's think about the word zeal for a moment. This isn't a word that most of us use very much. 
at least in everyday speech. Uh, so let's be clear in what it means. The most general definition of the word zeal is to have great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause. All right? So if you've got a lot of energy about something, um, or you're super enthusiastic about a particular cause, then you have zeal. But in a more religious definition of it, when we talk about um, religious or church subjects, often it can mean uh, devotion, all right? a devotion to God or maybe to some other religious cause. You can be zealous, have great zeal. Probably in our context, you might most often hear this idea expressed at least, the idea expressed using the word passion, right? When someone gets up to talk about something that they um, are zealous about, something that they're enthusiastic about, we, we who are watching them will often say, wow, they're so passionate, right? There's something about the way that they speak, there's something about the way that they engage with this subject that makes us think that they're passionate. So a good way to think about zeal in this verse is to think about it in the terms of passion. Passionate. Okay, let's move on to another word. Uh, diligence. Diligence. We often think about uh, this word in the context of sort of like hard work. It's got these hard work overtones. And that's because in the English language, uh, the word diligent means to have um, perseverance in your application, right? You don't give up. You keep going. And we often think about that as the sort of person who just goes out every day. They're a hard worker. Um, they just chip away at the job. They don't give up. That's, that's the sort of idea that we have. And that's true in the Greek as well, except that it, it doesn't really have that sort of hard slog type of overtone to the word. It actually means something more like the word eager that we might use. Someone is eager, all right, which carries more of the idea of someone faithfully chipping away at the task at hand, but they're whistling while they do it. They've got a song on their lips. You know, they smile when they go off to work every day. That's the sort of idea that the Greek word that we get diligence there comes from. All right, um, let's think of the word fervent for a moment. I just really want to hit on these couple of key words so that we, we've got a clear idea about what Paul's saying. Fervent. Um, it's an interesting word. Again, not a word that we use very often. I don't very, hear very often in our conversations over coffee anyone talking about fervency or being fervent. The actual literal meaning means to boil over or to froth, all right? So when you've put the, the kettle on and it starts to bubble and then it gets to that point just before it clicks itself off, if you've got an automatic kettle, just before it clicks off and it's really bubbling and really going, or when my wife says, do you mind putting the pasta on for spaghetti bolognese? And I say, sure, no problem. She says, keep an eye on it. I don't want it to boil over. No problem, hon. I've got it. I'm all, all over it. And then... Men, you know that smell that you get when pasta water hits the hot plate? Um, 
And you, oh, that's right. And you look over and it's, it's frothing over, it's bubbling over, and there's stuff going everywhere. That's actually the, the idea that the word fervent actually means in its literal translation. But the way that we would often use it really is, is for someone who is enthusiastic. Uh, there's sort of a fervency, a, an excitement. They, they get up to talk about something and it just starts to boil over. It bubbles out of them. They don't even look like they're trying. It just keeps coming, all right? If you've had a conversation with someone, you're trying to make conversation at a, a function or a work party or after church or something. Maybe you don't know them very well. And you think, oh, I really want to have a conversation with this person. And you start asking them questions and they go, how are you? And they go, good. How's work? Pretty good. And, they go, oh. and then you, you strike up a, a certain question. Maybe it's, um, oh, I, um, I enjoy motorbike. Motorbike riding? Really? And all of a sudden something sparks for them, right? They start to come alive in the conversation. That's, that's fervency. So, so let's put all those words together for a moment and rethink about this verse. Let's read it again. Romans 12 and 11 from the Christian Standard Bible. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Or, if we take our understanding of what we've talked about already, my attempt at transliterating those ideas, I'm not going to sit down and try and write my own version of the message or anything, but this is how I would try to bring those understandings of those words together in one sentence, okay? Do not lack an eager and consistently devoted passion. Be enthusiastically inflamed in your spirit and serve the Lord. All right, what does all that mean for us? My goal in preaching is not for you to walk out of here every morning having improved your vocabulary. We have to ask ourselves the question, any time that we read the Bible, so what? So what? What does that make a difference to? How does that impact anything about my thinking, my life, my actions, my service? And that's what I want to try and answer in the time that we've got left. So again, the text says, do not lack diligence in zeal, be fervent in the spirit and serve the Lord. I really just have two big points that I want to finish within the time that we've got left. One is, be passionate. Be passionate. Paul is trying to provoke in us a sense of our passion. Be passionate. That's the first one. The very first thing that we can't miss here is Paul's emphasis on zeal, on passion, right? That's a problem for us, especially for us Aussies, right? If, if you've lived in Australia, if you call yourself an Australian, if you've been here and shaped by the culture in Australia, passion is a problem for Australians because we aren't renowned for being the most passionate people. Our culture tends to be known by being fairly understated. We aren't too excitable. We don't like to make much of a fuss. We love our country. Don't get me wrong. We love our country. But we do not get weepy-eyed and hold our cubras over our heart every time the national anthem strikes up. 
Yeah. Please stand for the national anthem. And we all go, uh, do we have to? Where am I going to put my pie? Like, will I spill my beer? Like, I, don't, I mean, we just don't get that excited. We're not known to be patriotic in the same way as our friends across the ocean are. And yet we love our country, don't we? Or when someone says, hey, we're, we're going to go out and do whatever activity, and generally we like, even if we really want to do that activity, most Australians go, oh, yeah, sounds pretty good. I mean, inside we might be thinking, man, I, that's, I'm really looking forward to that. But we'll tend to go, oh, yeah, it's, yeah, maybe, that's good. I'll have a look and see what if I'm free this afternoon or something. And We're not overly passionate people. We tend to roll our eyes and smile at each other when we see our friends maybe across the seas in the USA who uh, love their patriotic you know, expressions with fireworks and flags and people doing all sorts of things and we just sort of go, oh, good on you, mate. That's fantastic. You know? And we just smile and, and nod and, and move on. But here's the thing. We can't afford to shrug our shoulders and yawn at the grace of God. God, in an infinite mercy towards us, and with lavish grace, reached out into the pit of hell, into absolute utter darkness, and snatched you from the fire. The good shepherd counted his flock and noticed that you were missing. And so he left the 99 and he went out to find you. When he found you, weak and weary, caught in a thicket of thorns on the edge of a precipice, he rescued you, put you on his shoulders and carried you home. God, who is like a gentle father, stood watching for you. And when he saw you, he ran to you. He embraced you. He clothed you. He fed you. God has brought the dead to life. That the valley of dry bones is now a marching army. We can't yawn at that. We can't shrug our shoulders at that and just go, oh yeah, that's all right. The grace of God has been poured out to us in Christ. We can't, we can't be lacking in zeal. We mustn't be lacking in passion when it comes to what God has done. Romans 12 and 11, do not lack diligence in zeal, in passion. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Now, I said I'd earlier come back to that topic of the uppercase or the lowercase s. Here's why I think although it matters a lot in the Bible if we're talking about God or if we're talking about us, 
Here's why I think it doesn't matter that much in this particular verse. Here's the question that has to do with where does our passion reside? Where does our passion come from? Where is it located? You see, we so often confuse passion for hype. The two can feel similar. An excitement that boils over into a desire to do something. But here's the difference. Passion or zeal finds its source from within, but hype, it originates from outside of us. I I reckon if we tried hard enough, we could get you guys fired up. It's not actually that hard. You can set the right mood. You can play the right songs in the right order. You can say the right words in the right way. And and I can work a crowd. Public speakers have been doing it for hundreds of years. It's called rhetoric. You could go to schools in the first century and learn from great rhetoricians the ability to publicly speak in order to provoke a response. There are well-known rules. In fact, you didn't have to go back to the first century to do that. You can do an online course today in learning how to do that exact same thing. There are rules of public speaking which will, nine times out of ten, get a certain response from a crowd. Even in churches, I I do a fair bit of preaching here and and in other places. I know, depending on the church that I'm in, there are certain phrases and certain topics and certain things I can say that will get an amen. If I'm looking for people to go, amen, oh brother, good, there are certain things that I can say that I can guarantee you will get that sort of response. But that's hype. That's a, that's an excitement about a subject that originates from outside and tries to come in. Paul's not talking about hype. He's talking about passion. Churches have been doing this for centuries. Even more so in the last few decades with the invention of coloured lights and fog machines. We can set a tone. We can set a passion. We can get the crowd hyped, right? We're not that complex emotionally after all. Filmmakers know how to get the tears flowing. And so do preachers sometimes. But again, that's not passion. That's hype. With the right formula, most of us can be hyped up. Right? We don't want hype. We want passion. That's what Paul's looking for. I think that's why we see in this verse that Paul emphasizes where the passion resides, where the fervency should be in the spirit or in spirit. For a Christian, either of those options are fine. Or maybe it isn't purely one or the other. Because as the Spirit of God dwells within us and conforms our spirit to His purposes, 
He is producing in us a well that should overflow like a fountain, right? A type of fervent passion that Paul is talking about. And this passion operates independently from the hype that is around us. This is a passion that is consistent and diligent in boiling up from within. This is a passion that has learned to recognize that God doesn't just live on mountaintop experiences, but he lives in valleys and in deserts as well. So let's be passionate people. Not hyped up, but passionate. Because the Spirit, the Spirit, is with our spirit and dwells within and the gospel is at work and we should be excited by that. But is passion all there is to it, is the next question we need to ask ourselves. Is passion all there is to it? So I said I had two big points. One was, be passionate. The second one is, be passionate about the right things. Be passionate about the right things. Let's remind ourselves of the verse again, Romans 12 and 11. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. We can be passionate. I know even as Australians, we can be passionate. But we can be passionate about all the wrong things. Or even in the wrong way. As Paul reflected on his own life, Paul, who wrote these words that we just read, as he reflected on his life, especially prior to meeting Jesus, before he met Jesus, this is how he assessed his way of viewing the world. You can read about it in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, starting with verse 13, says this, for you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous, passionate for the traditions of my ancestors. Paul had great zeal, great passion, but not a passion for grace, not a passion for the gospel, not a passion for renewed life. Paul was passionate about all the wrong things. Paul also knew he wasn't the only one with a misdirected zeal, a misdirected passion because as he reflected on so much of his Jewish brothers and sisters, Paul's heart broke for them. And he broke for those who passionately worked to please God, but were strangers to grace. In the same book that we're looking at in Romans chapter 12, you go back a couple of chapters, Romans chapter 10, verse 2, this is what he says about his brothers and sisters, he says, I can testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. 
That, that should terrify us. It is possible, Paul says, to be one of the most passionate people alive and even passionate for God, but have completely missed the point. You can sing passionately when you're allowed to. You can serve passionately. You can give passionately. You can get involved in social reform passionately. And yet all of it can be completely misdirected. Not according to knowledge. Not according to who God truly is and what he desires for his people. We can be passionate about all the wrong things. Even our so-called passion for Lord can be an elaborate mask. A carefully constructed disguise designed to conceal the passion that we actually have for ourselves. Maybe it's our passion to be seen or our passion to be needed or our passion to feel useful or our passion to be successful or our passion to be applauded or our passion to be accepted the list is endless we we have all sorts of passions that we pursue in our life but it's when we finally come to an end of ourselves that we find that all our desires are fully met in Christ So what are you passionate about? It's a question we sometimes ask each other in the church in particular, but also outside of it. What are you passionate about? Maybe you've sat in a job interview, or maybe one day you will. That's often a question that you're asked. Tell me what you're passionate about. Or maybe you've come to a church, maybe you're new at our church, and you're wanting to find a place to fit where can I serve? And someone might ask you, what are you passionate about? How would you answer? Maybe a better question is, who are you passionate about? Don't be content with an ignorant passion. We attune our passions. We, we tune them up. We, we adjust our passions to the knowledge of grace in Jesus Christ and see what flows from there. Let's read our verse together one more time. Romans chapter 12 and verse 11. Do not lack diligence. Remember what diligence was like? It was an eager and consistently devoted passion. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be eager and consistent, Paul says, in how you pursue passion in Christ. Don't let it ebb and flow based on the external things that are happening in your life. Oh, I feel so passionate about Jesus now. But tomorrow I don't. And we all understand the, the, the ebb and flow of life. 
We understand the great pressures and pains and griefs that we bear. But Paul says, hey, listen, methodically and with a smile on your face, pursue passion in Jesus. Don't lack in it. Be fervent in the spirit. And the fervency, that boiling over like a a kettle, like a pot. Something inside is just burning and and it flows out of us, right? We're enthusiastically inflamed in the spirit, in our spirit. And it's not misdirected. We use those and we we funnel those and we point those all towards that last phrase. We serve the Lord. We direct it all towards the grace that is found in Jesus. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit and serve the Lord. Lord, thank you for meeting us in your word this morning. Lord, if we have ever yawned at your grace, if we shrug our shoulders at what Jesus has done and accomplished for us, Lord, we bring it to you in confession. We repent. Lord, provoke in us by your spirit a passion that boils over for who you are and what you've done. Lord, we don't want to be people that walk through life yawning at the greatest miracle of all. Who look at Jesus and shrug our shoulders. Lord, we don't want to lack in zeal. We want to be fervent in the spirit. We want to serve you. We want to direct it all towards you. Lord, help us, we pray. We feel weak in this area. But Lord, shake us up. Plant something inside of us that we can't ignore. So that we would be a people who are changed and transformed by the gospel into a zealous community for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.